Hey, bestie, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to Staying Inspired. I'm your hype woman and host, Amanda Yoa, and my jam is inspiring the glass ceiling breakers, the bold move makers, the best life living women in the making. This is the hottest place for empowerment, real conversation, inspiration, humor, and tools for you to up-level your life and make some bold moves in that main character energy. So now that you're here, grab some snacks, sit back, and let's get into it. Hey, girlfriends. Welcome back. Amanda Yoa here, your host and hype woman. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me, Danielle Kettlewell. Danielle is an Olympian synchronized swimmer, speaker, coach, author, and podcast host. Um, she's from Canada to Australia, and she pursued her impossible dream of joining the Australian National Synchronized Swimming Team and competing in the Olympics, achieving that goal at the Rio Olympic Games in 2016. And after five years on the team, including three world championships, Danielle made history as part of Australia's first mixed duet in 2019 before retiring. Now she passionately guides individuals worldwide through her podcast, programs, retreats, and coaching, helping them liberate their body, mind, and soul and live a life they love. Danielle, what an accomplishment. First, congratulate congratulations on being a part of such an extraordinary competition. I'm just so grateful to have you on and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such an honor. I love um, to connect with beautiful humans like yourself all around the world. Um, so it's I love being here. Thank you. Before we dive into today's topic, give us the deets on when you found out you made the Olympic team. And well, it was a bit of a crazy story, Amanda, because I, you know, I wrote a book and about my story, which is called The Unlikely Olympian. And it really does kind of summarize my journey because growing up, I never in a million years would have expected that I would been would become an Olympian. I was like, you know, there's like the most likely to, I'm like the least likely to basically. Um, cause no one expected me to ever become, I was kind of like the girl on the bottom of the team. I was like the one that like had a great attitude and cheered everyone on, but was kind of the reserve. She was benched. I, it wasn't my reality or pos in my even realm of possibility that I thought I would ever go to Olympic games. Um, and I, you know, the reason I'm so passionate about sharing my story is because I really believe there's essence and lessons that every single one of us could take into our life. So how it kind of happened is back, um, when I was 18 years old, I had done synchronized swimming for, for throughout my high school years and since I was eight. And so I did the sport because I loved it. I was passionate about it. But like I said, it was never the best, but there was nowhere else for me to go. I would have never made the national team in Canada because I was born and raised in Canada. Um, and I was kind of like the end of the line. And so I quote unquote retired. Um, and I say retired with quotation marks um, because a couple of years later, I got this wild, crazy opportunity um, that happened and that came to me when I was actually in university. I was suffering from a concussion and I was really questioning what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I knew that I wasn't on the right path, but I felt like there was something more for me, but I was kind of going down the road that, you know, people say, go to university, get a job, follow that path. And it just didn't feel like it was for me. And so at the time I was 21, I had this really bad concussion. Um, I The day after my 21st birthday, I was on phone with a girlfriend of mine and she was actually a past teammate and she was um got a facebook message this is back in 2013 gets a little bing when we're on the phone and it's the australian national team coach of the australian synchronized swimming team 
in Australia, obviously. And it's a pretty small world in our sport. Um, and this coach used to live in Canada and, and knew my friend. And she said that they were rebuilding the team after the 2012 Olympics. And is there any chance that she would want to come try out for the team? Because she had a father that was Aussie. And as a girlfriend and her friend, I was like, yes, go for it. This is amazing. I believe in you. You do it. Like cheering her on. And after about 15 minutes, she turns around, she looks at me and she was like, Danielle, both your parents are from Australia. You did synchronized swimming. She was always way better than me, uh, but I did it as well. She's like, you, you can do this too. And I almost laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I'm concussed. I was never the best. Like, you know, like I was not that person that was any, anyone expected anything. She was always so much better than me, but I had this moment where I was kind of sitting there and, and grappling with, you know, what my life could be and, and you know, what I really wanted. And even though it seemed so incredibly impossible, I also realized that there would be some day in hopefully a hundred years where I'd pass on and I would be looking back at my life and I would be wondering, you know, the decisions that I decided to make and the, the leaps that I took and the fear that I leaned into. And I realized even though it scared the living daylights out of me, I was scared of being judged. I was scared of failing. I was scared of it not working out. I was scared of what people would say about me. I was more scared of wondering who I could have been if I was brave enough. And I didn't want to live with that regret. And that one moment, that one decision changed the trajectory of my life. And within six weeks, I decided to, I kicked up my concussion recovery into high gear. I was on a plane to Perth, Australia, which is very, very, very far away. I didn't know anyone. And I was at the very first training camp for the Australian national team. And again, I was not that great, but I was one of 16 girls there. And I started to see, I was like, okay, I'm one of 16. And you start to calculate those odds. And you're like, okay, even though I'm not the best and the most talented, I know that I can work hard. I know that I have a great attitude. And I know that I, if, as long as I have my mind and my self-belief that maybe, maybe I can improve enough to get on the team. And that's what eventually led me to the Olympics. Amazing. I love that. And you know, like, so, okay, fast forward, on the Olympic team, you've made it, you're there. Were you, like, super scared? Because I feel like I would be crapping my pants. Like, tell us about that experience. Like, performing in front of, like, you know, I'm sure there was an audience, there's cameras, there's, you know, camera light action. What was that experience like? And what were you, like, going through in those moments? Yeah, so it's a great question because it, sometimes I uh, what what sometimes people forget, you know, when you uh, get to an Olympic Games, you have competed a lot before that as well. And so I had the opportunity to compete in Russia in tw- 2015 when I ended up making the Australian team, and there was a crowd of 15,000 people there. Um, and so the, when I was at the Olympics, the crowd was only 8,000, but it was televised to millions of people right and so like the pressure is pretty big right you're there you're competing for your country people you got one shot um (laughs) it's it's all surmounting right and so absolutely a hundred percent poop in my pants my thing when i'm um what not physically but my thing when i get really nervous is i always have to go to the toilet um and so you know like toilet and dry mouth that was always my thing um and so you know we have to do a lot of work on our mind we work with a sports psychologist about how to really stay in the moment because i think that's really helped me in the work that i do now because one of the things is in that you know you can be the greatest athlete in the world but if you don't have your mind on your side it doesn't matter because if you can't compete and you can't perform when like push comes to shove, then you really aren't the best. And so it's all about being able to perform and compete at that level 
at that top level. And so, you know, I remember standing in this hallway before we were about to walk out for one of our routines. I got to swim twice at the Olympics. Um, and everything inside of you just has to bring you back into this present moment and what you control in this moment. Because I'm thinking about my families and the stands, like people around the world are watching. This is my one shot. I've done this routine thousands of times and I have to do it right. I'm thinking about all the things that I need to go through. And I'm like, no, no, no. All I can control is this moment right now. And you just have to keep bringing yourself back to the present moment because that's all you can control in that, in that second. Um, and that was such a helpful, uh, practice as an athlete, but it takes time. Like, oh my gosh, it takes time because if you're standing up there on stage, you know, uh, and so we stand on a stage before the music comes on and we dive into the pool and we start performing. Um, and you're thinking, oh, holy crap, this is it. <laughs> like usually that's the moment when someone does something wrong or makes a mistake. And so there's kind of this weird thing when you get to an Olympic games where you kind of just have to treat it as normal, right? You have to almost be not in the mindset of like, this is my one shot at the Olympics, but it's, but more in the mindset of, okay, I've done this a million times. I'm just going to do it again. And I, and, and really tune out the crowd, tune out the cameras, tune out the pressure and just be in the present moment. And that that's really was powerful for me then. And, and even in everything that I do now. I love that. And yeah, I think that carries over to pretty much, you know, everything that we do. And it's, it can be so easy too. I love the fact that you guys had that support of, you know, the sports psychologist to help like reel you guys in when you, you know, might be too far into, you know, oh my God, I have all these cameras watching me. What am I going to do? What if I mess up? So the fact that you're able to stay present, I think, you know, that says so much and it helps you achieve so much, not even like in what you do, but just any aspect and having that inner dialogue too, which is what I wanted to talk about today. You know, having that inner dialogue when it comes to our self-worth, believing in ourselves and our abilities, you know, um, so how do you define self-worth and can you share a personal story when you you doubted your self-worth and how you overcame it to achieve something remarkable like i don't know say becoming an olympic swimmer <laughs> such a good question your know, self-worth i really believe it's like how you see yourself and value yourself and therefore interact with in the world right and people that have a low sense of self-worth often are ones that are you know, um, serial people pleasers, people walk all over them. They don't have boundaries. They don't stand up for themselves. They sometimes can have a lot of internal resentment because they don't speak up and speak their truth. And that was me growing up. And that was me for many, many, many years. And I was the person where I tried to find my happiness by making everyone else happy and putting everyone else in front of me. But at the end of the day, that leads you at the end of the line and really frustrated and upset and wondering why you're not really moving ahead in your life. And so, you know, a big moment when I had to realize that I had to start putting myself, in, uh, you know, in, in at the front and the main player of my own life, it was that Olympic opportunity because I was thinking about, you know, like I shouldn't leave my family behind. I have lots of nieces and nephews. I was like, I don't want to be absent in their life. This means I'm going to like leave my friends. And, you know, I, at, at, I actually don't talk about this very often, but a couple of years before um, I moved to Australia to try out for the Australian national team, my niece, who was three, she was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so my family was moving through all of that as well. Um, and, and I had a lot of guilt 
for prioritizing myself and my dreams. My parents are a lot older, you know, like we just think about all the other people that we have to put in front of ourselves. And, and a big thing for me was, you know, I, I wasn't a mother at the time, um, but my nieces and nephews, I was like, I don't want to miss their life. But I realized that I would rather be the, the auntie that said to them, you can go and do anything. And I did too. Then you can go and do anything, but I never did. You know, I wanted to show them what was possible by doing it and living it. And that was a real big moment for me when I realized that actually prioritizing myself, my like what I want, what I desire is more of a benefit to the world. Because when I fill up my cup, I have more to give. And for years, I'd try and fill up everyone else's cup before myself. And that only led me to being frustrated and resentful. And also it led to people walking all over me. And I've had many lessons like that in my life. And I think that's why I'm so passionate now about speaking about self-worth because how we value ourselves is how the world and the universe interacts with us, right? When we start to elevate our self-worth, our life reflects that, right? People, you can, I work with my clients, they start getting pay increases and bonuses. They start attracting like healthy relationships and new jobs. Like, because when we hold ourselves at a higher level, the world interacts with us at that level. And so that I have to realize that even though so much of me struggled with my self-worth for many years, that I wanted to elevate that. And if I wanted to become an Olympian, I needed to see myself in a higher regard than I ever had. And that took work and years and practice as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, like when you're doing that, when you're stepping in to like up level to that version of yourself, that's going to go out and achieve those certain, you know, things that you're setting out to achieve, you sometimes have backlash or criticism for, for stepping into your self-worth. So like, what do you think are some common misconceptions people have about self-worth and how do you, you know, deal with that criticism? You know, like, I feel like when we're coming up, sometimes we have haters and that could be really hard to navigate, especially when you feel like you're doing such a good thing for yourself. Right. And you get to this point where you're like, Hey, like I'm finally stepping into feeling good about who I am you know, and what I'm here to do. And I have these people that are hating on that. So, you know, what are some misconceptions people have about self-worth and how do you deal with those haters? I think exactly like you said, Amanda, I think people go, oh, I'm just going to like work on my self-worth. Boom. It's going to be easy. And my life is going to you know, reflect it straight away. And it definitely gets to that point, but there's a really uncomfortable middle bit where people start feeling really uncomfortable with your level of growth and with you changing. Because what happens often with people that have low sense of self-worth, they often track narcissistic personalities um, and people, people that take advantage of them, um, uh, manipulative types of people or people, you know, they are dealing with their own levels of hurt. And so they're putting it out on like the people pleasers and the low self-worth people of the world. And so once you start elevating that, there is this real sticky period where you start to lose people you know, that are probably not meant to be in your life. Or you start to come up against conflict where people challenge you, you know, having people be like, like, who do you think that you are? Right? Like, how dare you think that you are worthy of doing something like that? And, you know, I really believe that those are the moments as well, where we get to kind of get that test from the universe and be like, no, 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 I am. I, I, I it wobbles us. It shakes us for sure. When someone does that, you know, I remember I had a, a in my own self-worth growth, I had a friend of mine, <laughs> She said to me, and, you know, tone is everything, as we probably all know. She said to me, Danielle, do you think that you're smart? You know, kind of like that, which like very condescending. And that was like smack in the face for me. And that was such a challenge because 
I had two opportunities in that moment. I could have fallen and, and just like let that take me down or I had the opportunity to rise. And I remember in that moment, I'm proud of myself. In that moment I said, you know, and if you ask a fish to climb a tree, it's going to spend its entire life thinking that it's stupid. And so I said to her, I believe that there's a whole bunch of different levels of intelligence. And I, maybe I'm not maths and sciences intelligent, but that doesn't mean I'm not an intelligent person. And that was a, a powerful moment. And so one, when we're on the journey of elevating our self-worth, we're going to hit those those moments um, where we get the opportunity to fall or to rise and use that moment to rise. It's going to be uncomfortable. You might feel emotional. You probably will feel triggered, but it's also so powerful when you can choose to overcome that as well. Yeah. I love that so much. And, you know, I feel for any woman listening who might be like, wow, you know, this is, this is some juicy stuff, but I don't even know how to get started. You know, what are some like practical tips for listeners to foster their their self-worth in their lives when they're, you know, trying to become that version of themselves, when they're dealing with, you know, like we just discussed, people that may be uncomfortable with this version of themselves that they're becoming and, you know, like not even knowing where to start. So what are some practical tips you could give? I really believe in, and, and I, I'm not a mother yet, but I, I do have a lot of mothers that come into my world. And this is such a challenge. I think inherently as women, we want to give to others before we give to ourselves. And so I challenge, you know, my clients, especially mothers, but everyone is like, what can you do during the day? And maybe you can't do it straight away, but in the morning for yourself, before you give to anyone else whether it be five minutes, 15 minutes or an hour, right? Prioritize yourself. I remember I had one client, she was, uh, she came to me in the pandemic and she was feeling exhausted and burnt out. She was a single mom of two daughters. And we just started implementing like, uh, you know, starting her day doing something for herself. And she still lives by that. And so much has shifted in her life. And of course it takes more than that, but that's a little step, right? Whether that's like getting up and going for a walk in the morning or, you know, just sitting and having a cup of tea, a cup of coffee in silence, in peace, or doing a meditation or whatever it is that actually fills your soul before you give to someone else, which is really, really huge. And then secondly, I really believe in sisterhood and getting around women that lift you up find communities of people that believe in you, right? And sometimes we don't have those in person and sometimes we need to, might not have them in our real life and our real friendships so we can find them, whether there's so many incredible groups in every area of the world that all of us are in, but also virtually, right? Like get around an online community of people that is gonna believe in you, whether that's an account that you follow like yourself or like a community or a program. Because when you're around women that lift each other up, which is in the narrative that we always see, on like TV and in the media, right? We see women tearing each other down, but women are so powerful when we build each other up. You actually start to shift that environment, right? Because who you, the five people you surround yourself with is the five people that you become the most like. And so if you're surrounded by people that believe in you, that speak life into you, that prioritize themselves and their needs and then give to others, that's going to be a reflection of who you become. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so true. And, you know, community is such a huge thing for me. I really, you know, just seeing how much I've grown, not just in, you know, in my life and in my business by surrounding myself with those people, right. That are like maybe where you're at in your journey, but also people who are maybe three, five, seven steps ahead, right. Because that's how you're, you're learning and you're, 
you know, you're, you're observing the things, who they are, how they, you know, present themselves in public. How do they speak? How do they hold themselves? Like, even if it's like, you know, something virtual or in person, you know, um, their body language, every little thing. And you can start emulating that and applying those things to your life. Um, I actually just started a community. It's on Clubhouse, which is like a, an audio app. Anybody listening, go check it out. It's club, it's clubhouse. I love it. Absolutely love it. So I started my own community. It's called Next Level Women. And because I said to myself, I want to provide what was given to me. I want to have that space where women can really up level in their lives, in their business, do the things that they thought were unthinkable, were unreachable when in reality they are. And, you know, cultivating that being that's of self-worth is an important factor in that. And there's a lot of things that women are holding back when it comes to their self-worth that we discussed today, you know, caring what other people think, having other people who are, not to mention, I don't know if we touched on this, but sometimes you receive the most disheartening feedback from people who are the closest to you. I know like from my own experience, like doing the things that I'm doing today, some of the people that were closest to me, I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm, I'm going to do this. And you know, they, I didn't receive their support that I thought I would receive. And I was like, wait a minute. But then I realized, okay, I'm growing here. I'm stepping out of the box and doing things that maybe in my family were never done and my friend circle will never done. And that scares people. So I need to be intentional here. If I want to grow and scale and up level and do the things that I thought were once unthinkable for my life and cultivate that sense of being of who I am in order to enable those things to come to life, I need to be intentional of who I'm surrounding myself with. So community is a huge thing for me. So important. And I love that you brought that up. What you said to Amanda it, uh, it, along the lines of, you know, the people that are closest to us is because when we start to change, first of all, that challenges their perception of reality because people really like things to stay the same. And so when things change, it makes people uncomfortable. And then secondly, especially if we're close to them, it's not, you know, and as you know, but just to remind the listeners, it's never really you. It's about what you are triggering in them. Because if you start to change your life, then they think that they are being judged and they start to question, you know, can I be more? Can I do more? Should I do more? Is she judging me? Does she not think that I'm enough now because she wants to change? Maybe she doesn't love me anymore. And so we project this onto other people. I, it was really interesting when I, by the time I was 26, which is mind blowing to say, I had been to an Olympic games. I competed on the national team for five years and I have written a book. And I remember when I was telling people that, and I, I was selling my book, I, I would just share with them a little bit about my story. And I say, yeah, you know, the, you know, this is my book, The Unlikely Olympian. And the amount of people that said to me, oh, wow, I haven't done anything in my life. And I would always say to them, no, 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 that's not, that, that this isn't about that, right? Because it was so interesting. I never brought it up, but they in that, in just me sharing who I am, and even the listeners, you, you know, between us here, they might be going, oh, well, I haven't done anything with my life at whatever age. This isn't a, to take away from who you are and what you can be. This is to add to it. This is to show you what is possible. And how can you be around those community and not see it as, oh, look what I haven't achieved, but instead look at it as look at what is possible for me because these people are doing it too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that you brought that up because I think a lot of times, and I've seen this for myself, my own experience there's like steps, right? Like to stepping into our self-worth 
And I think we have our sources of inspiration and we observe things. But I think firstly, and I can be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to say this, that before I was able to turn those people into inspiration for me, I was triggered AF by certain people. And I will be vulnerable to say because I know a majority of us do it because, you know, speaking what you were just speaking, that person starts looking within themselves like, well, am I not good enough? You know, like you get triggered by that person that's doing the thing and becoming that person because you see a part of yourself in that person and you don't know how to make the connection. And you can choose to stay triggered. Like that's a choice, but you're going to stay stuck. You're going to stay stagnant. Or you can choose to do that inner work, cultivate that self-worth and be that inner, you know, that have that inner dialogue with yourself to push yourself to become the person that you want to become. And then you realize that that person's not so much a trigger, but it's your inspiration. It's that guiding light, right? And you can do the things that they're doing, but you can make it you. You know, you can you can bring your creative your creativity, your individuality to the table and shine the way that you want to shine. And I think that like people think that people like sometimes the people in those positions that are triggered, they can think that people are judging them because they haven't done enough with their life. I say in quotation marks, but it's so it's, it's quite the opposite because usually people are so focused on their own lane and what they're doing that they're not thinking about judging you. They don't, you know, and not in a way to, I don't mean it to sound bad, but it's like, they're not thinking of you because they're thinking about what they're wanting to create in their life. We're thinking about, I think about what I want to create in my life. I'm not judging people that might not be doing the same thing because I know everyone lives their own life and everyone's in a different lane. Right. And so if you feel judged, it's just because you're judging yourself ultimately. The, the, you know, the people above you, or I say above, not in a place that anyone's better than anyone else, but are ahead of you, they're always going to cheer you on, right? And usually the people below you or behind you are going to try and pull you down. Have you heard of crab in the bucket syndrome, um, Amanda? It's a crab in the bucket syndrome is, is basically what we're speaking of. But if you put a whole bunch of crabs in a bucket, what will happen is one of the crabs will try and crawl out of the bucket and the other crabs will actually pull that crab back down. And that is the same thing that can happen, you know, when we have someone in our field or, or ourselves that wants to go after something and you are in an unsupported community. The crab, like, even though that crab is like escaping to freedom, <laughs> literally to not be boiled alive, the other crabs will pull them back down to be with the like majority. And so we have to realize that that is kind of a, a natural tendency, unfortunately, but we also can shift that, you know, not only by staying in our lane, but also accepting the people in our lives for where they're at and realizing that it's not actually personal and they're just going through their own journey as well. I love the aspect of staying in your own lane. I think it's so important to bring up, especially for women listening who are maybe just first stepping into their self-worth, knowing that they're not going to, you know, receive the way the things that they're going to want to receive, they, you know, and it can be a scary thing to come out of your comfort zone and start creating this version of yourself that you're not used to being, you know, and when you don't get the feedback that you want, you like your tendency is to like, okay, I'm going back to who I was because this isn't being received well. Maybe this is wrong. You know, and I think for a lot of women who struggle with their self-worth, a big thing that comes with that is needing permission, right? Like, is this okay? Can I do this? I know for me it was, and, you know, it's just realizing that you're never really going to get 
permission or you're never going to hear what you need to hear exactly the way you need what it's it, what matters most is what comes from you so staying in your own lane and realizing that you know for the time being you're going to have to put yourself in a little self-worth bubble before you feel comfortable with that version of yourself and then you can break out of that bubble and be like hey this is me and i don't give a ish what you have to say like you know i'm standing in my worth this is me yes i love and and those people and this is what i found and you might be finding that as well is like what if you start to like kind of see the life cycle of it is like the people that doubted you will also be the people that eventually start telling talking about you in a positive way say hey i know this person that does this thing right you know the first couple of years everyone's like who's this girl going after the olympics and then when i was actually going to the olympics everyone was like hey i know a person going to the olympics and i'm like you were the first to doubt me but you're also the first to like be like hey i know this person right and not like th that's that own person's journey but i think it's just important for us to remember too because it's like we have to stay the course and move beyond that really uncomfortable period when pe the people do doubt us because we also will move beyond that eventually and we'll start finding our new communities some of those doubts Doubters will start believing in us and some of those doubters will start cheering us on as well. Yeah. I love that you said that because it really, it ties into what I was just going to bring up next, which is like self-compassion and not just self-compassion, but maybe now, you know, since we've had this conversation, compassion towards other people when we're cultivating self-worth, realizing that not everybody is going to be able to meet us in the same season of what we're doing when we're doing it. And to give ourselves compassion in those moments, you know, when it's really difficult to try to step in and become the version of us that we so want to be. So, you know, how important do you believe self-compassion is in cultivating self-worth? I say it as like giving myself grace because I realized that beating myself up all the time wasn't actually getting me anywhere. And I think that that's what, what sometimes like women can think, oh, so if I beat myself up, you know, whether it be, you know, for if you, whatever you ate or didn't eat or whatever, however you exercise or didn't exercise or whatever you said or didn't say, you know, we are so used to just beating ourselves up, but that actually isn't productive. That actually doesn't cultivate change. And it, it is so much more powerful for us to take away the shame and give ourselves grace because shame as well has a very um, contractive vibration. So what that means is it like, you know, we can go into shame spirals. So, you know, when you like beat yourself up and, and you just like go down into a spiral and you just like, because it becomes this like little shame fest and you start feeling worse and you don't actually make change from shame. You make change and you make shifts in your life from giving yourself grace and giving yourself compassion from a neutral vibrational space of saying like, you know what, even though maybe I'm not proud of what I did or how I acted or what I said or what has happened up until this point, I'm just going to give myself some kindness and I'm going to move on from there because you're going to, first of all, make change so much faster. You're not going to go into shame spiral. You usually can make so much more different in the world. You know, from a mindset perspective, you know, what I speak about with my clients is they talk about the meanings that we make. And so, so often as women, as humans, we make these meanings about things, right? We'll say whatever we did or didn't say, I'm going to say like exercise as an example. It's like, okay, well, I, I didn't exercise today. You know, oh, that means that I'm bad or that means that I'm, you know, or I did exercise today and that means that I'm good. But the more neutrality that we can bring to stuff, the more change that we make. Because when you're in a mindset or a vibration of shame, you actually do not want to make any change because you feel so crappy about yourself. But if you're in a space of neutrality, you're going to actually make more change, do more things and make a more powerful impact on the world. And so as listeners move forward, just start to be really aware of the meanings that you make. 
because you'll start to realize that you're making meanings all day long. And sometimes and quite often the meanings aren't actually helpful towards the life that we're wanting to create because we're making ourselves mean, you know, even like, oh, I didn't empty the dishwasher before I went to bed. Oh, that means it's bad. Who cares? Move on, right? Do it in the morning. Like these little things. And once we can start to neutralize that, we make so much more change. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times we mask the the shame and we we call it like you know we think it's discipline to be hard on ourselves constantly we, we think it's us being disciplined well i have to be hard on myself i have to beat myself up because i want to achieve this goal but i mean i know from personal experience I, anytime i was ever like that towards myself i i just became more resentful and bitter and you know just down on myself and i you know i, I would get stuck and then, you know, like you said, when I just realized you're going to have down days, you're going to have up days, you're going to have days where you don't get everything done on your to-do list. And that's okay. Like, we're not perfect. My grandfather always said, Rome wasn't built in a day, Amanda. And I think, you know, we're all stuck on this um, Amazon Prime mindset. Like, we want, like, the next day, <laughs> right? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And these things take time. And just being able to be compassionate with yourself, to give yourself grace in those moments where you feel like, I'm just sucking it up today. (laughs) You're really not. You're really not. And in moments of struggle is where you pull out your most, you know, monumental and and, um, deepest gems of wisdom for yourself to take with you through your life. So, you know, just be easy on yourself, ladies. If you're listening, learn what's built in a day. I mean, give yourself some compassion and realize you got this far, you know, like, and that too, we we sometimes we look so far ahead and who we want to become. We're not realizing who we are now and what we've accomplished. And that can really beat our self-worth up. So, you know, in those moments, I know you, you mentioned earlier about just getting, bringing it back to getting present in that, in those moments of what you had to achieve, you know, how you have to perform get present with yourself and realize that you have the power in, in the now to be anything that you want to be and do anything you want to do. Yeah. And I really realized this as an athlete as well, because as an athlete, you get feedback all the time, right? You get constructive criticism because you want to improve. But what I would see happen, and this would happen with, uh, you know, some of my teammates or over the years, I'd see lots of athletes is if you allow that constructive criticism to tear you down, um, or if you made a mistake and then you stay in the past and you're only thinking about the mistake, you literally just spiral and you get worse. And the way to improve as an athlete is to be like, okay, if I made a mistake, you know, in my routine, I literally can't do anything about it because I do not have a rewind button on life. And all I can do is get back into this moment and do better. And I think that we, we need to come to this same perspective in life, right? You actually cannot rewind. No matter how much you worry or stress about something, you will never be able to hit the rewind button. So there's no point in hating yourself or beating yourself up about it. What if you just come back to this moment and say, okay, well, what can I do better instead? And that's such a more powerful way to move forward. And also exactly like you said, like Amazon Prime mindset, like things take time right? And people like we're sharing a podcast. It's going to be however much long, but this isn't my whole life and my whole story. And just like, this isn't your whole life and your whole story. I've competed for 18 years in total. I competed for, I think 
13, 14 years before I actually went to an Olympic Games. And so even though I share this story about how it had a crazy quantum leap and all my life changed, like I had put in a lot of work to get to that point. And so I think that we need to remember that because often what we do on social media, because people are time, you know, time poor and people are busy, is we see the glory and we don't see the story. And so we have to remember that everyone who has gotten anywhere has a story. No one had it easy. No one was gifted by God, the easiest path and never had any challenges and struggles. We all have been through something that we have overcome to get to where we're going. And when we can remember that with everybody that we see and interact with, who has some type of thing that we are desiring, gives us so much more self-compassion for where we are as well. I love that. What an amazing story to glory that you've had, Danielle. And um, I just want to say it's been an honor to have you on the show. I thank you so much. Um, I want to give you a chance to let people know where they can find you and, and what you have going on currently. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram or TikTok, Danielle Kettlewell, my full name, like a kettle and a well on Instagram is Danielle Kettlewell underscore. Um, and you can find my podcast, the beautiful souls podcast. My book is on Amazon. And if you are wanting to work on your self-worth, I do have a program coming up called reclamation, which is all around feminine empowerment and reclaiming our self-worth to actually do that inner work to get to that result as well. Um, and it's just been so fun speaking with you today, Amanda. Um, I've loved this conversation and I hope this has added value to everyone's life. Yes, definitely will. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Danielle Kettlewell, the Olympic synchronized swimmer, speaker, coach, author, and podcast host. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, stay inspired. Thank you so much for listening, Bestie. If you love what you heard, spread the word, screenshot this episode, and post it on your social media. Don't forget to tag your girl. If you would like to show some further love, give this podcast a review over on iTunes. And be sure to follow our Staying Inspired Podcast Community Facebook page. I'm super grateful for each and every one of you. Together, we create that next level self. Till next time, stay inspired.